Welcome to Adventures in Behaviour Change, the Little Challenges podcast, with me, Katie Elliott. It's a place to find ideas, inspiration and practical tools to help make the messy business of being human just a little bit easier. Join us. On today's show, my guest is Emma J. Bell, author, coach and founder of the Global Resilience Project. Emma has travelled the world interviewing extraordinary people who have thrived in the face of adversity to discover common resilience strategies that can help us all to thrive every day. Emma J. Bell, welcome and thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Katie. It's lovely to be here on your show. I'm curious to know, what's led you to the work that you're doing today as a coach and an author? So my most recent project is the Global Resilience Project, where I travelled over 35,000 miles around the world to interview 50 people who had faced 50 different kinds of trauma, but each of whom had one thing in common, and that is that they didn't just survive the trauma, but they are thriving despite the trauma. And I wanted to understand whether there were common resilience factors that these 50 thrivers, as we call them, were using in order not just to survive, but to thrive. And there are, we found through this research that there are nine uh, secrets to thriving, as, as we call them, and that's the subject of my next book. But what led me to do that particular work, and I see that as the pinnacle of my journey so far, was that as a litigator in court, as a judge, you know, I would deal with clients who had faced traumas and difficulties, and I would notice that some were thriving, they bounced forward, whilst others were barely surviving, Katie. They had allowed their life to be defined by their experience, um, and that reflected what I had seen in my own personal life. So like many of your listeners, I have had a fairly challenging upbringing, but I noticed that myself and other family members were reacting to those challenges differently. Sadly, my brother, for example, became a heroin addict. And on the face of it, I looked like I was thriving, being in law and being a part of a law firm. But in fact, I wasn't thriving. I was only just surviving. So really, from a fairly early age, I've been really interested in what it is that enables some of us to thrive. And that ultimately has led me to this point and the work that I do today. That's fascinating. Broadly speaking, is it the field of post-traumatic growth that you're exploring around how some people grow through trauma? It's what those people who have bounced forward after trauma can teach about how to thrive every day. So what we found is there are these nine secrets to thriving, but these are secrets to thriving that you, I, and your listeners can apply every single day of our lives, whether Mm -hmm. we fall out with our boss, have an argument with our teenage daughter, you know, are feeling low, you know, are suffering from anxiety. These are strategies that don't simply apply when we're in the midst of adversity of the most traumatic kind, but rather when we're just riding the bumps in the road that we all encounter every day. And I know you said that this will be the subject of your next book, but are you able to tell us anything about those secrets? 
well, okay then, I will. I'm not <laughs> just really just one, maybe. <laughs> well, I'll, I'm sure your listeners won't be surprised to hear that the first secret to thriving is self-care. You know, this idea that we need to apply our own oxygen mask before we're able to support others. But what our thrivers told us is there are actually particular self-care practices that can really uh, enable us to thrive. So things like setting boundaries, things like being really clear about what your needs are and articulating those needs, things like one of my favorites is do something you love every single day, even <laughs> if it's just getting up 10 minutes early before everyone in the house is up and enjoying the warmth of a cup of tea in your hands. Um, others are commit acts of self-love every day. Again, another one of my personal favorites. And, and they go on and on. So the self-care practices that our thrivers told us about were just incredible. And one of my passions at the moment, I'm, I'm touring around talking about the nine secrets to thriving and sharing these amazing stories of our thrivers, some who have survived terrorist attacks, others who have survived you know, gang rapes, who've lost limbs, almost any kind of trauma you can think of. One of our thrivers has encountered that and yet is thriving. So self-care was what each one of our thrivers identified. That came through unanimously in our research as being a primary secret to thriving. Mm. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that so often we feel that that's a corner that can be cut, uh, particularly people who do a lot of caring for others can easily imagine that they can not look after themselves well I, mean, I speak as someone who's done that for the majority of my life. I think that it's okay to get away with not taking good care of oneself whilst attempting to take very good care of other people without realising that that's kind of back to front. Absolutely. And, and that came out resoundingly in the research. In fact, Helen Connolly, one of our drivers, said, you wouldn't expect your mobile phone to work if you didn't charge it. And I love that analogy. I think that's so powerful. Mm -hmm. Of course. You know, your mobile phone works best when it's fully charged and it's ready to go. Yeah. And that applies to every single one of us. Otherwise, you know, resentment creeps in, lack of energy, we get emotional, um, we're overburdened. And the trouble is that many of us, and I count myself in this, we have rescuer tendencies. Mm -hmm. And those rescuer tendencies undermine our ability to put ourselves first. Yeah, <laughs> there can be some quite strong cultural and familial sort of martyring patterns and over-caring patterns, I think. I, I certainly <laughs> have had quite a few of those in my own life that I've really had to address in order to be well. I won't ask you about more secrets at this point because uh, they're secrets and <laughs> we, well, right. we need to come and hear you speak or buy your book. So uh, moving on from that, I'd love to know what's one thing that you personally do regularly that helps you to stay physically healthy? Well, that's a lovely segue, isn't it, from the self-care into the physical health. For me, it's doing exercise outside. So I have the cutest dog called Buddy, and Buddy is my running buddy. So most days, whether it's raining, snowing, wet, windy, dark or light, I will get out for a short or medium or long run with Buddy. And that allows me to stay physically healthy. Yoga is also really important in my life. This, this feeling of moving your body. I, I always say to people, if you're going to do any exercise, make sure it fills you with joy. Otherwise, you'll stop doing it. And, and each of those just fills me with joy. <laughs> it's so true as well that, that it should fill you with joy because uh, it makes it so much easier to do it, doesn't it? Rather than doing something you think you should do. 
but don't really want to. I'm I'm giving up doing anything I feel I should do. I'm just giving that up for life. <laughs> I've discovered that I may be part dog. So if you give me a sport that involves chasing a ball around, I'm perfectly happy and don't notice that I'm getting exercise. But if you expect me to run long distances without a ball in front of me, I just don't seem to be able to manage it very well. I think you and Buddy have quite a lot in common. <laughs> so what's one thing that you do regularly that helps you to stay mentally healthy? I get up every morning, four to five minutes before I need to do anything so that I can meditate. And my meditation is a combination of pure following the breath and visualizing the outcomes that I'm focusing on right now. And that allows me to be calm and connected to my dream. As adults, often we forget to dream, but dreaming is what? keeps excitement in life and I always have a dream that I'm following and my current dream is that we'll touch 10 million lives with this research and I dream about that every day. What a fantastic dream to have. Thank you. <laughs> I'd love to know what's one thing that you do, perhaps you've already mentioned it, that helps you to do your very best work? I think having a dream because I think if we set goals that are realistic, those are not inspiring. And also it means that the actions we take towards the goals are going to be fairly limited. When I set the audacious and completely outrageous goal of touching 10 million lives with this project, it made me do things that I wouldn't have done if the goal had been smaller. It made me reach out to people I was barefaced and outrageous to reach out to. So the one thing that, that helps us do our best work is set a a goal that's effectively a dream that really inspires you, that lights you up inside and that makes a difference to the lives of others. And then you'll push through fear, you'll push through embarrassment in order to do what needs to be done to achieve that goal. Mm. <laughs> I love that expression. I think you said uh, you were willing to be barefaced and outrageous. I think that's yeah. what you said. Audacious um, is my, my word of the, that relates to this goal. It's audacious. Fantastic. It. So audacious. many of us will avoid doing things that feel audacious for fear of rejection or failure. I'm curious to know, what's the worst thing that's happened as a result of being barefaced, outrageous and audacious for you? Well, I recognise what you say because I spent the first 30 years of my life not being audacious and it kept me exactly inside my comfort zone. But um, being audacious, the worst thing that's happened to me is that someone said no, but I asked in a really nice way and so they said no in a really nice way and that was great. And I asked them the reasons they'd said no and they gave me feedback that was really useful so that I could adjust my approach next thing. But you know, the things that have been great that have happened from being audacious far outweigh and outnumber those things that have happened that have been disappointing. So, you know, I haven't been shamed. I haven't been embarrassed. I've been disappointed sometimes, but more often I've been elated. I've been surprised. I've been wowed. It's, it's really worth taking the risk. So the, the fear of doing the audacious thing is perhaps not justified for many of us much of the time. It's really understandable, but of course, fear is just your body's way of saying, are you sure? And if the answer is, yes, I am sure, then go do it. And <laughs> That's a lovely way of looking healthy. at it. It's a very healthy reaction, but, you know, the fear is just, are you sure, you know, are you bonkers or not? And um, 
sometimes the answer is yes, I'm bonkers, but it still is the right thing to do, so I'm going to do it anyway. And the thing is, you only feel fear about something once. You do it and then you're not frightened again, not at least to yeah. the same level. It's very true. So have you, ever, have you ever made a conscious decision to change a specific behaviour? And if so, what happened when you did? It's perhaps not so much a behaviour, but it's a causal factor for a behaviour. And that is worrying about what other people thought of me. And again, I've spent a good 30 years really worrying about what other people thought of me. And there's a wonderful quote by David Foster Wallace in his book, Infinite Death, which is, you'll become way less concerned with what others think of you when you realise how seldom they do. (laughs) You know, that's so true. We get so wrapped up. And when I just understood that what I think of me is way more important than what others think of me, subject, of course, to having... Um, close confidence and family members who I know have my best interests at heart to check in with. You know, I value their opinion, but really worrying about what others think of you is such a waste of energy. It holds you back. All that matters is what do you think of you? Are you living according to your values? Are you living according to your purpose and your mission? And if the answer to that is yes, then understand that what others think of you is really more about them than about you. Mm-hmm. But the process, I, I think often we know that we don't need to worry about those things as much as we do. But the reality of actually changing those behaviours, those tendencies can be tricky. Did you find that it was a, a quick change? Was there a sudden insight that meant that you saw things differently? Or was it just a sustained practice of remembering that you didn't need to worry as much as you were and testing that out? Well, I I followed the process that I write about in my first book, The True You, and I want to give your listeners a free download of my first book, The True You. Um, And The True You will give them the process for changing that core belief that was a core belief of mine and using neuroscience. So I actually went through a process which ultimately changed my neural pathway related to that core belief so that it was overwritten with a much healthier core belief which is I'm okay as I am. Thank you so much we'll we'll give links to that at the end. I'd like to know what's a life skill that you've learnt or acquired perhaps the hard way that you think many people would benefit from having but that is rarely taught to us? I think the skill of being able to ritualise habits so you know if you understand how habits work Mm-hmm. And you keep one habit at a time and you learn the skill of ritualizing that habit in your life so that it becomes part of your subconscious response. That would be a great life skill to teach our kids in school. Mm. So, you know, if you think of the nine secrets to thriving, the nine secrets to thriving are really a collection of habits. And you take one habit at a time and you ritualize that and you become more resilient. Most people make too many New Year's resolutions and fail because they try to set too many habits and then they fail. So I think the figure is something like 8% of New Year's resolutions are kept. But if you understand how habits work and you're able to develop the skill of ritualising habits, that is life-changing. That has really changed my life. I, I absolutely agree. What amazes me whenever I talk with people about how habits are formed is how simple and easy to understand that process is. It's not complicated and we could very easily be teaching it. It's not rocket science and yet it is life-changing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you understand the habit loop, 
you understand the way it works and you can apply that to every single habit you want to break or every single habit you want to create. It's actually easy. It just takes an understanding and then it does take application, but it's life changing, you know. Mm. I think what we often don't realise is that we have habits whether we think we do or not. So sometimes we can imagine that we don't really want to form lots of habits and routines without realising that we have them anyway. It's just that we haven't ever chosen them consciously. So it's having that power to make conscious choices about our habits and routines that makes all the difference, I think. You're right. Absolutely right. I'm fascinated to know if you were to come up with a little challenge for our listeners, what would your little challenge be? My little challenge on falling on the back of habit would be what habit, single habit, would you like to create in your daily routine? So if you want to be calmer, if you want to be able to respond rather than react, meditation is a great habit. If you want to get fitter, then your habit might be to walk for half an hour three times a week or four times a week, but you would do that at the same time day on designated days during the week. Or it could be reading poetry, or it could be having a phone call with someone who makes you feel good regularly, reaching out in some way, whatever the habit is. Start today, but be clear on your why, what's it going to give you how will it improve your life how will it create better deeper connection because it's the why that is instrumental in motivating us towards the behavior we want to create every day Hmm. so to reflect on something that you would like to change in your life that can be done in just a few minutes a day i think that's one of the important things that we often we often miss the idea that just spending a few minutes a day doing something can have a transformative effect it's so easy to be all or nothing when we think about behavior change isn't it it is and so many people want to change half a dozen things which is overwhelming so they don't make a start but i would say don't worry just choose one just choose one that's it wonderful thank you for that so where can where can our listeners find out more about what you're doing and uh, interact with you online? So they can hop on to my website where they'll get a free download of the two you. My website is emmajbell.com. They can join my Facebook group where they'll get a free audio download of the true you book and that's called 50 Thrivers. And they can follow me on Twitter, which is at 50 Thrivers. And we'll get access to video interviews with our thrivers and then ultimately the stuff that we're now beginning to release following on our research. It's been wonderful talking with you about this. Thank you so much, Emma. It's been a pleasure, Katie. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you know someone who might enjoy today's episode, please pass it on. And if you'd like to hear more from Adventures in Behaviour Change, subscribe on iTunes. Last but not least, if you'd like to help me grow the podcast, please leave an iTunes review. Each one makes a real difference. Until next time, bye for now. Adventures in Behaviour Change is brought to you by The Little Challenges Project. 
To find out more, visit littlechallenges.com.